This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. LinkedIn. LinkedIn has marketing tools to help you target your customers with precision. For a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit to launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. And Good & Co. The best hires not only have the right skills, but the right personality for your company culture. Visit good.co slash VIP to schedule a demo and use promo code TWIST for 35% off your first order. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis, and we host this show twice a week. You can follow us at youtube.com slash thisweekin, or you can search for This Week in Startups in any of your favorite podcasting apps. The show is on SoundCloud, Spotify, Overcast, and of course, the Apple and Google podcasting apps. If you want to be a hero, go ahead and review the podcast and uh, go ahead and tweet it. That is always helpful. One of the things that we don't hear a lot about is uh, what's going on in Africa in relation to technology and startups. Once in a blue moon, I hear about something uh, going on there, but not a ton. And I was blown away when I met Jeremy Johnson from Andela. That's pronounced A-N-D-E-L-A, Andela, like Mandela, as in Nelson. And they were founded in 2014. They have over 1,300 employees. And those employees are software engineers in Africa, in cities like Lagos, Nairobi, Kampala. And what Andela does is they partner with high-growth startups and large tech companies like IBM, Viacom, Gusto, GitHub, and SeatGeek. The firm has over 1,300 employees. Let that sink in for a second. The majority of those are developers in Africa, in some of the largest cities. And today I hope we can talk about the continent of Africa and then drill in and maybe educate the audience on misconceptions we might have uh, as well sure as, many. and there's many, yeah. uh, and as well as just getting an update on where different cities are at, um, because we know that Africa is really a, a large range of different... Mm -hmm. 54 different countries. 54 different countries, but there's also... And so anyway, welcome to the program, Jeremy Johnson. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here, Jason. Um, you've raised over $81 million from investors. It's super impressive, uh, including the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Salesforce Ventures, Spark Capital, my friends over there, Omidyar Networks, uh, GV, which is Google Ventures, Arm, and Future Perfect. Tons of people have invested in your company. Um, but let's talk about Africa, the continent. Um, what led you to want to create a software consultancy, development firm, outsource firm, I don't know how you like to refer to yourself, in Africa? Most people would say Eastern Europe. India was the classic uh, place to outsource to. A lot of people are talking about Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil, and other places mm -hmm. in South America. You chose Africa. Why? Yeah, I, we started in Africa for a very simple reason. Our founding principle and premise is that brilliance is evenly distributed. And if you believe that, then all of a sudden, Africa isn't, uh, isn't an odd selection. It's the obvious selection. Huh. What people often fail to realize is how rapidly growing the tech scenes are mm -hmm. in countries like Nigeria and Kenya 
as well as Uganda, as well as Rwanda. And in each of these, in each of these countries, you have, yes, early stage, but rapidly growing tech scenes that have brilliant engineers that are excited about being able to plug into the technology world. Andela creates a vehicle for that. And we do that by also being able to then, as we help scale engineering teams with international companies, invest in cultivating additional talent across the continent. So it's a way, in many ways, to unlock that human potential and prove that brilliance is evenly distributed while also solving one of the bigger challenges that, you know, most of my guess is your viewers and, you know, me and previous companies and my friends struggle with, and that's how do you find great technical talent? Right. And it's immensely challenging and getting worse. So I think we could all agree brilliance could come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. Brilliance, though, most people would think, oh, maybe in uh, countries with education systems that maybe were, uh, I don't know, uh, have been around longer, maybe more prestigious universities. What is the educational um, infrastructure like in these countries and how has it changed? Because I do think that people largely would view Africa and say, maybe they don't have the educational infrastructure, maybe the word pipeline. I don't know if that's a triggering word for some people. How has that changed over time? And then also talk a little bit about instability and governments there, because there is also the perception, I think maybe Rwanda comes to mind. Is it, is it safe in Rwanda? Has it changed, right? Uh, military coups. That, that's some of the things that people, I think, when you start talking about African nations, start thinking. How stable is, are the governments in the countries and the where you are? And then what's the education system like? Are you coming in there and having to build out this infrastructure for education or are the governments helping with that? Or are they already there and we just don't perceive it as Westerners? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll take the education one first and then move into sort of government reaction. Uh, on the education front, if we take a step back and think about the startups that we know and love and you think about their best engineers it's not all that uncommon for them to be either college dropouts or self-taught. Sure. When you think about the world's best engineers, they're not usually saying, like, Carnegie Mellon is a place that made me a great engineer. Carnegie right. Mellon's a great university. But universities really struggle when it comes to training software developers and training technologists. And there are a bunch of structural reasons for that. But the, What do you think those structural reasons are? Well, first of all, you've got an 18-month technology life cycle where you've got different sort of you basically, you've got different technology stacks that are evolving rapidly. Uh, over the past 18 months, all of a sudden, we've had like a huge shift from people being interested in Angular to moving to React. Right. If you are a university, you're getting feedback every once in a while from students at the end of a course, and you might look at it and iterate on it, but there's no way you can keep up with the changes in that landscape. Yeah, they're teaching Cobalt and Fortran and Pascal. <laughs> and I'm sure there are a handful of banks that really appreciate the fact that yeah. those things still exist in some class somewhere, but very few startups do. Mm. And so you combine that with the fact that how you learn computer science in university is very different from how you actually build world-class software, and you end up with a system that is useful in terms of fundamentals, but you still get someone coming out of a CS degree at MIT needing to spend six months on site uh, at Google or Facebook in order to get to the point where they're productive. And that's why we've seen here in the United States, code schools have become effective. Well, maybe. They've got maybe? their own series of challenges. Yeah. What do you think of code schools? Because these are typically $10,000, 12 weeks, 36 weeks. Can you train a 
programmer in that amount of time or not? So you're certainly not going to get to uh, anything resembling an expert level in that period of time. The biggest challenge, though, is the pace of learning is going to be in part driven by the people you're surrounded with. Mm. And so when you look at the best work environments or the best academic environments in the world, they care deeply about making sure that everyone you're surrounded with is really smart, really driven, and going to push you because that becomes part of the foundation of the culture. And if the culture is consistently learning and growing, then you're going to feel like it's natural for you to consistently learn and grow. And so the challenge you get with many of the code schools is it's who can put $10,000 on a credit card to get in, ah. as opposed to Andela, where 1% of applicants are accepted into, mm. into Andela. 1%. And so do you have a code school or and do you look for people with raw potential or are you just skimming the cream and saying who are the best developers in each country let me you know give them the best paying most interesting work how do you so we're scale to this we're, many employees Yeah we're absolutely cultivating talent yeah. uh, but we care actually much more about long-term potential aptitude problem solving ability ability to take feedback ability to give feedback uh. than we do about whether or not someone has quite frankly, an academic degree of any kind. Uh, now, software development is a somewhat unique field where that is sort of more obvious than it might be in other other areas. And so we, about half of Andela developers uh, do have uh, prior, like an academic degree in uh, computer science or electrical engineering. So right. it is certainly not a rarity, but at the same time, it's not a requirement at all. Mm. We actually had uh, learned about this a couple weeks ago. We had a security guard at a previous office in our Lagos, Nigeria campus apply over and over and continue learning more each time, trying to get into Andela as a software developer, and eventually was accepted into the Andela Fellowship. Now, that fellowship does have, as you were asking before, a roughly six-month period where a developer is proving mastery over a thousand different learning objectives, combining both technical skills as well as soft skills, mm -hmm. the majority of which they probably haven't experienced before, regardless of how much exposure they have, because we think of this as the, uh, it's our developer framework. We think of it as the foundation of what makes a great distributed software developer, mm -hmm. which isn't always the same as what makes a great team member on site also. And that's a critical part of why Andela works, is helping to cultivate talent that also knows how to work in a distributed way. When are they, if they come into the fellowship, when are they ready to be billed out, you know, for work with American companies and be competitive with the talent, let's say in Silicon Valley or New York or Austin or Seattle? When would they hit that level, do you think? That for us is usually somewhere between six and eight months into into Andela. So you have a pretty, you have to make a pretty big investment in people, uh, and, co Huge. and constant investment. Um, and then what do you? Well, actually, let's do a quick break. But when we get back from the break, I want to get back into the misconceptions or updates that we should all know about the political situation in different countries in Africa that you're operating in and how you manage that and what's the reaction of those countries, Totally, um, which is fascinating in and of itself, how much progress has been made. But then I also want to get into the business model. What does it cost for a developer there versus America? What do you build them at at? And what's the margin on this business? Is this something where, you know, SeatGeek can save money or they can just pay the same but expand the number of developers they have access to? Let's answer those questions when we get back on This Week in Startups. 
Let's talk about turning your idea, your amazing idea, into a new website, whether it's a blog or you're publishing content, maybe you're selling products or a service of some type, or you want to promote your physical or online business, or like me, you're having an event like Launch Scale, and you want to make a gorgeous, amazing website, maybe one with a beautiful video in the background like this, maybe one that's responsive and that people can see perfectly on their mobile phones and their desktops and their iPads and their widescreen monitor, and that's just optimized and optimized for speed, design, and mobility. Yes, you can see these perfectly on your desktop or on your mobile phone, and it's all search engine optimized. You got plenty of analytics and 24-7 award-winning customer support. That's what you get with Squarespace. Squarespace.com. I use it for all of our websites, Launch Scale and the Angel Summit, Launch Festival Sydney. Why do we use it? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's affordable. It's a great deal. It's got tons of features. And everybody on our team knows how to use it. Updating the website is not arduous anymore. It's easy. When I say update the website during a meeting at lunch, we have staff lunch, it's updated in real time. People just go zip, zip, zip and get it done. So go to squarespace.com and get a free trial. When you're ready to launch your site, use the offer code TWIST and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Yes, use the promo code TWIST and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com is awesome. I love it and use it constantly. Go ahead and visit squarespace.com and get that free trial and use that promo code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Thanks again to our friends at Squarespace for being one of the longest running supporters of This Week in Startups. It really means a lot to me and it means a lot to our team that you make such great software that we get to use here every day. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. My guest today, Jeremy Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter, Jeremy J. And he is the co-founder and CEO of Andela. That's spelled A-N-D-E-L-A. And you can see them at andela.com and on Twitter at Andela. Founded in 2014, $81 million in investment, including from this software developer, Zuckerberg. Here he is in uh, what city is this? That is in Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos, Nigeria. And the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative is an investor. They are. Now that's their kind of nonprofit, but also social investing or impact investing arm? Yeah, they think of it as impact investing. And yeah. uh, as far as I know, we've got to pay them back. So I certainly don't think it's uh, yeah. it's fully nonprofit. Uh, yeah, Maybe they, like an evergreen fund is how they look at exactly. it. That was the criticism of it. I thought that was unfair criticism when they were like, Zuckerberg's doing this 50 billion, he's giving, Zuckerberg and his wife are giving away $50 billion and they did an LLC. F those guys. And I was like, um, he, he's giving away $50 billion. Why are we criticizing you? Like, no, it has to be to nonprofits and in a nonprofit format. I'm like, why does it have to be in a nonprofit format? Like, why can't you? I mean, for profit businesses like yours can make a bigger impact than a nonprofit because you have sustainable jobs. Yeah. So they invested a lot of money. Indeed. Indeed, they're one of our larger investors. Got it. 81 million raised to date. They're the largest? Uh, they're not the largest individually, but, yeah. um, but they're, they're up there. So they led our Series B. Right. Uh, and so Spark Capital led the A, uh, and they led the B after that. I think so, they were their first lead investment out of CZI. Amazing. Yeah. How did you wind up meeting them? Uh, How does that randomly, go down? Uh, I ended up meeting uh, uh, a woman named Vivian Wu, who uh, 
is the head of their sort of the venture arm of CZI. Mm -hmm. uh, she'd been working with the with Mark and Priscilla for a handful of years uh, before that and known them for many years. Uh, and when we first were introduced, it was this small uh, small summit for uh, for uh, folks in technology related to education and ed tech. And uh, we were connected, and I just thought it would be an interesting conversation. At that point, mm. they'd never let around, so I didn't think of it as a potential uh, lead investor long term, but rather uh, just as a uh, you know somewhat obviously influential uh, yeah. name and presence in the software development and tech world. Sure, uh, just good friends to have. And, oh, for sure. Uh, we ended up ended up just hitting it off. Uh, Vivian, nice. couple couple months later, asked uh, asked us to come out and sit down with Mark and talk through. Uh, what their plans were with CZI and what they were trying to do, and that turned into uh, it turned into a conversation about whether or not it would make sense to actually think about them leading our next round. And we went back and forth on it. It wasn't it wasn't immediately obvious. Actually, one of the things we were concerned about was would it be perceived as uh, fluffy? Basically, mm. uh, one of the things that is a you know a perpetual uh, I'd say challenge for us is like. Our partners, we work with 150 different companies around, you know, 11 countries and 55 cities. You name some of them. They're some of the top tech companies in the world. Those engineering leaders are not working with us because they like our mission. They're yeah, they're not, not trying I mean? to get like a gold star or a exactly. cookie and high five right. to feel good about themselves. This isn't like Live Aid where we're like trying to help Africa from starving. This is, exactly they need right. developers. They they have a real problem to solve and we yeah. can help them. And it's great that we can advance our mission by solving that real problem because quite frankly, the world of people that need great talent is way bigger than the world of people that want to help us advance the mission of proving that brilliance evenly distributed has nothing to do with race, gender, or nationality. Right. Like that's, uh, that's actually a good thing structurally. Let's not get into it because the bell curve may show that different populations might have up to one or two percent difference in intelligence which means nothing when it comes to being a developer by the way yeah and but also, it's a huge controversy right and now. also the testing is really difficult to do effectively and so if you're looking yeah. at one to two percent difference it effectively means nothing which is just not how the world operates you know yeah it's it's in so interesting to me that this is controversial that there could be a difference in intelligence scores across different populations when people can hold their breath for five minutes from some places in the world and other people are taller or shorter or fatter or skinnier. It Law makes no difference. large numbers. The, yeah. The, the shortest person in the world is Chinese and the tallest person in the world is Chinese. Like, right. There you go. <laughs> it, is, it is entirely a function of just the number of people on the planet. Yeah. And across Africa, you have the youngest, fastest growing population on the planet. It's 1.2 billion people. You have yeah. a huge number of extraordinarily talented people. Yeah, and if there is any difference on the margin, all that should do is inform us that uh, it is inconsequential and that we want to make opportunities available to everybody. And, and the world is better if we do. And it's the world is better if we, we do. Of course to. it is. It's yeah. the, it, you think about the challenges facing not just you know the Facebooks, Googles, you know Salesforce of the world. Yes, they've got real challenges from a talent standpoint, but so does every startup you've ever heard of. The world yeah. needs more talent and is moving towards distributed. Combine those things together. And the notion of having this giant population of extraordinary people able to engage as great full-time team members is so obvious. Give me an honest answer here. Why do you think this didn't happen before you started doing it? 
because it sounds crazy to people because they are spending a lot of time watching the media and have a distorted and utterly distorted view of Africa as a continent. Mm. And as a result, this just didn't seem as obvious as it is and will seem in the future. Right. Um, let's talk about the arbitrage that you're doing. You're doing geographic arbitrage. It's expensive to live in San Francisco. I've heard. There's massive competition. It's cheaper to live in Eastern Europe, or it's cheaper to live in Tokyo. I don't know if you saw that New York Times article. Developers are moving to Tokyo because <laughs> no, it's cheaper than San that. Francisco, and it's a better city because <laughs> it's cleaner and cooler, and San Francisco is horrible. Um, Good for but putting Tokyo. all that, that I thought smart. that was, when they say Tokyo is... You know, there's some You can do financial arbitrage by moving to Tokyo, which is a really <laughs> expensive city. You know, San Francisco is completely and utterly broken in terms of experiences. But um, what does it cost you for, let's say, a seasoned developer there versus, you know, let's say the average seasoned developer here, which would run, what, 125, 150 here in San Francisco? 150. Uh, what does I... that developer get paid in Africa or Eastern Europe? Uh, and, and how does that comparison work? And then how do you build them out? You know, there's certainly a cost of living difference. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's actually not the reason that companies choose to work with us, yeah. which, quite frankly, I've been a little bit surprised by. But what we found over and over is if you believe us and talk to our existing partners, then the fact that an Andela developer uh, and working with Andela will start at, you know, $4,500 a month is an extraordinary, extraordinary deal. And if you don't believe us, it doesn't matter because the notion of working with a developer that isn't going to be a great team member is just annoying. And so it's actually negative. Sensitive companies. Like if it's forty five hundred a month or fifty five hundred or thirty five or sixty five, it actually doesn't matter. What matters is Is it going to be a great developer? You're going to love having this person on your team. That is the test. So exactly you can find developers for fifty five K a year that would cost 100 150 here in the states. Uh, something that range. Yeah, you're in the ballpark. Uh, like it's that. in that ballpark. So um, about 50 cents on the dollar. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you actually look at different parts of uh, Lagos or Nairobi. They're actually parts of the cities that are not San Francisco expensive, but that are actually really expensive yeah. because there is so much growth in the ecosystem. Mm. Uh, and that's just not part of the common perception here yet, uh, which is exactly why you're going to have to come and visit at some point. Uh, I'm down. People need to know. How did you get uh, Zuckerberg to come? It's a big trip, right? You know, uh, I wish I could say we got him to come, but uh, he volunteered uh, it or something, or he was there anyway. They decided to. They decided to come out themselves, and we were obviously happy to host. Uh, But that was that was a trip they wanted to take. He hadn't been to the continent before, and it's the youngest, fastest growing on the planet. By 2040, half of everyone graduating high school on the planet will be African. I'm sorry, wait, say this statistic again. By 2040, half of every person graduating high school on the planet will be African. It wow. is crazy. So if population, you look at the population growth, growth is crazy. Relative to every other continent on the planet, hmm. it's completely crazy. That is extraordinary population growth. And yet no one talks about and it. Nobody talks about it. Let's talk about the political uh, reaction to what you're doing there. How does it look? For a white guy from Silicon Valley to come out there and start a company there, are you, do they say, oh, you're welcome here? Or do they look at you as like maybe you're trying to take advantage of what's going on there? How is that looked at? I'm curious. 
you know, I because don't know they've that... had a bad experience with some countries, right? China or the European countries have been considered predatory. Am I wrong? And yeah, I've heard that. Uh, there's I a lot of controversy around China's yeah. investment in Africa. Uh, they're it's funding, predatory, they're isn't funding it? a lot of infrastructure development in a in a way that does seem to be pretty predatory. Uh, Just high margin loans, or you have to use our equipment kind of situation. I... <laughs> Actually, it's even crazier with China because they're taking low margin loans from the World Bank and then using that same the same money to be able to then loan it back out at, in a, at a higher margin. Uh, but that's crazy. Yeah, it's international economics is a fascinating space. Yeah. Uh, so how are but, you looked at there? Are you so, a, do they look at you as a champion, or do they look at you as with a little, or did they look at you with like a little bit of concern, like why are you here? Well, so Andela, we had six co-founders at the beginning, mm. and two were from Nigeria, one from Cameroon, oh, okay, two from the U.S. and one from Canada. And so I actually think of this as one of the most important things uh, for us across the board as a company. There's no way I, as a single co-founder, could have done this. Mm. I knew almost nothing about the continent when we started. Mm. I did a deep history in education technology. Uh, you know, the last company took public in six and a half years. Like, we were... Uh, I understood the ed tech space. I did not understand... What was the company Africa. you took public? It's called 2U. To you, what was it? Uh, it still is uh, very high quality infrastructure for online degree programs for top tier oh. U.S. universities. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, and so when it came to when it came to Andela, uh, I knew uh, at the outset that if this was going to work, we needed to bring together a very diverse group of people mm. from both Africa and the U.S. Got it. Uh, and so that uh, would definitely increase the. Amount of comfort level. It's yeah, not just we don't, a we bunch don't, of folks from America trying uh, to skim the cream and take the best that's talent. That's exactly and... right. That's exactly right. There certainly were concerns uh, around brain drain because people looked at India and looked at people sort of leaving the country. Mm. Uh, one of the benefits of the Andela model is that people don't have to leave their country. Yeah. So you're able to invest in human capital, to invest in the next generation of leaders without those people then needing to leave the country. Mm. And obviously, that's a pretty high quality set of circumstances. Uh, stability. There is a perception that there's been a lot of turnover in governments or instability in Africa. Is that perception outdated that people have, or is it very country by country, which is what I would assume, and very region specific? Yeah. And then how does it impact your business, if at all? So it is partially just a function of it varies dramatically country by country and partially outdated. Uh, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, Nigeria, Kenya are two largest countries right now. Uh, yeah, there are political complications, but we've got some political challenges in the U S as well. Yeah. Uh, I might have so, noticed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, but becoming, these are functioning democracies. They are, they are functioning democracies. Yeah. Um, Certainly by now U.S. standards, uh, they <laughs> yes. are functioning democracies. As our democracy deprecates, <laughs> suddenly other democracies are now on par with us. <laughs> they look like remarkably well, highly functioning democracies, right. actually. Yeah. Uh, and so the political landscape um, has been interesting because we're investing so much in mm. these countries uh, and investing in the next generation of leaders who don't have to leave their country in order to take part in the program. It's a great pitch it's, to them. It, it The political response has been... Can we come take pictures at your campus? Uh, now, that has been complicated because you can only host so many people. Uh, but we've had, uh, we've had, you had the vice president of Nigeria, it's a country of 200 million people, yeah. uh, come to visit a couple months ago. 
Uh, I've had the president of Nigeria mention us in a couple different speeches. We, and this is in part because we have such a diverse group of co-founders, we don't think of ourselves as an American company. We don't think of ourselves as a Nigerian company. Uh, we think of ourselves as a global company that has deep roots in both the U.S. and Africa. And as a result mm -hmm. of bringing these cultures together, we've been able to build something that most people thought was impossible. Oh, there, there are your co-founders here. Yeah, there you go. Nice, uh, good-looking group of folks. <laughs> San Francisco, New York, Lagos. Le Lagos, am I pronouncing it? Uh, depends who you ask. Uh, Lagos, Lagos. Uh, is the I, most yeah. official, uh, but Lagos. most people say Lagos. Lagos is what I've heard, Yeah, but it's Lagos. Lagos would be Lagos. if you were in Nigeria talking Lagos. to Nigerian. Yeah. It's almost French, Lagos. It actually comes from Portuguese. Portuguese, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a romantic language. Nairobi, obviously, and Kampala. So you're in three cities in Africa, the majority of folks, and you added so, two more? Yeah, we're in, uh, we have Andela centers in three different cities, and we announced the fourth, Kigali, uh, about a month and a half ago. All right, when we get back from this final break, I want to find out what the governments are doing there to support you. In other words, now that you've got three or four cities cranking, five cities cranking, are the governments now coming to you and saying, hey, we'll pay you to educate and create this workforce, find the brilliant people, and then mentor them up when we get back on This Week in Startups. Hey, let me take a moment to thank our friends at LinkedIn. When you advertise on LinkedIn, which is the world's largest professional network, you have the opportunity to build long-term relationships with critically important customers. And these translate into high-quality leads, web traffic, and higher brand awareness. But the first step is to find and target the right audience. Every day, 500 million professionals engage with content on LinkedIn. A half billion people and your future customers are among them. You know this because you're on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn has marketing tools that will help you target these customers with precision down to their job title, company, and industry. So if you wanted to target people in the scooter business or who work at Uber or Lyft or in transportation or in government, you could pick their job title, their company, and their industry. And this will let you create a great message that customers care about. In fact, Four out of five customers on LinkedIn are decision makers at their company. You know this because you're on LinkedIn and you're a decision maker and you're listening to This Week in Startups. So get on there, use LinkedIn marketing, and build these really important relationships. And here is a ridiculous, unbelievable, absurdly generous call to action. Get $100, a C-note, from your boy, Jason, by going to linkedin.com try to keep it together people linkedin.com slash this week in startups now you got to type out all those characters linkedin.com slash this week in startups the podcast you're listening to and if you type in those characters you get about ten dollars per character 100 bucks in ad credits terms and conditions apply like don't uh don't run a scam but for everybody else who's not running scams go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups and grab the c-note a hundy from your boy all right. Thanks again, LinkedIn. Hey, everybody. We're having a fabulous discussion, educating ourselves with what's going on in Africa across, what you say, 54 countries in Africa? 54 countries, 1.2 billion people. 1.2 billion people. So the continent is as big as India or China, mm -hmm. roughly. Um, and, and growing much faster. And growing faster. Mm -hmm. Educate us also on the AIDS epidemic, because my understanding is that is still taking time and is still a huge challenge across large parts of Africa. You know, this is one of those one of those things that uh, is certainly still an issue in yeah. a number of countries, but is much less of a uh, 
much less of a discussion point or area yeah. of concern the way it was, you know, a couple of decades ago. Yeah. It, it, in many ways, similar to the U.S. Uh, you know, it's it's tough because a lot of the conversations, whether it's uh, AIDS or Ebola, will focus on, uh, will sort of try to take uh, the media and focus on things that are uh, that are inherently scary because it's good for getting clicks. And mm. ultimately, uh the real story of what's happening across Africa is you've got seven of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world. You have extraordinary like people and ecosystem development. And this is an area where China's getting it right as they realize that they want to invest in Africa because they recognize just how important it's going to be for the future. The U.S. is way behind on this. And we're now going into a nationalistic, isolationist period in our history the first of our history. Way behind in trying to figure out if we can push ourselves further back. And Europe has had a nationalistic movement. Our mm -hmm. people first. Uh, your people never. Um, it's too bad immigration never did anything for our country. Except everything, right? It's like, Precisely. It's like... God, that's the part that I missed. Yeah, it's like, if you just look at our generation, Elon, Sergey, just go across the board... Uh, Steve Jobs' father, like, we, we don't not, we would literally not have Apple, Tesla, and Google, just off the top of my head, like, just before we even get anywhere. Those three companies don't exist if the immigration policy we have now existed in 1980. People completely miss that you look at the founding teams of the top companies across Silicon Valley, yeah. consistently, you have huge, both diversity and immigrants coming in. Like it is the founders of the Fortune 500, founders of unicorns, yep. founders of the most successful high growth startups and, across the board. And if they're not immigrants, their parents probably are. Yeah. Like, so even if it's like, you know, Elon's from South Africa, Sergey, um, I'm not sure exactly where he's from, but I know he immigrated. And then Steve Jobs' parents, you know, it's like, it's either one generation, it's typically, you know, either the person or their parents immigrated. Almost nobody who's like fifth generation and I'm going to start a unicorn. I don't know why that is. I think it's probably the trust fund <laughs> screwing things up. But I have, um, no, I have, no, I have no comments on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so our governments now, I would suspect that once governments see you making this huge impact, finding talent, nurturing talent, employing talent, refining that talent's ability to uh, you know, go from being you know, average to exceptional, they must be begging you to come to their city slash country. Are you at the point where these cities are willing to pay you to build out uh, offices and uh, talent and pay you to, oh, Moscow, Sergey was from Moscow. Um, so it certainly wasn't part of our, part of our original thinking, but you're also absolutely right that over the past, over the past couple of years, and in particular over the past year, uh, we've had you know, well over a dozen different countries reach out and say, like, what would it get? To, what would it take to get you to bring Andela to the country? Uh, and so our first actual government partnership uh, is with Rwanda, uh, wow. the most recent the most recent uh, addition. And in that one, the key part of it was we've had thousands and thousands of applicants from, you know, the 50 countries across the continent that we don't operate in. Mm. And we've tried in some cases, for instance, we've had a handful of uh, applicants from Uganda that got into Andela Kenya before Uganda opened. Uh, we've had some uh, folks from Togo as well as Ghana get into Andela Nigeria. But work visas are a real challenge. 
Mm. Like it's just they don't have the like ass. an EU type system where you can bounce from country to country. Everything, everybody makes their own rules. Yes, it's, there is an African Union, but it has not. It is nowhere near as sort of consolidated as the EU. Oh. And as a result of that, the only country that actually is really open about this, they're actually the most open in the world, is Rwanda. And so Rwanda basically said, we will, like, we want you to build a pan-African hub here. Mm. And we will make it so anyone who can get into Andela, any developer accepted in Andela, immediately can have a work permit in Rwanda. See, this is the smartest thing ever. It's so smart. Merit-based so immigration is something that... You know, it's it's interesting when you think about our discussions, national discourse here in America is just gone. But if you said to if you said to a hundred Americans, do you think we should have merit based immigration or some portion of our, our immigration should be merit based, there would be no argument. A hundred percent of people, because most developed worlds, I believe Canada, Australia, are very much based on merit-based. And then you'd want to have people who are refugees who can't get in because they were going to be tortured or imprisoned or murdered in their own country. And then you want to have some lottery. But to use you as the filter and say, hey, listen, they're going to create jobs. And those jobs will create startup companies eventually. And those startup companies will then create alumni. And those alumni will then create venture capitalists. And the, and the flywheel gets going. That's such a no-brainer. And we're talking about yeah. hundreds of people, right? We're not talking about tens of thousands that are going to be taking your jobs and your factory jobs or whatever. These are people who will wind up creating companies eventually. Every tech job, every high-paying tech job creates five additional jobs Explain. in the economy. There have actually been two different studies, one done around Apple and Cupertino, and another done in Rwanda, by Do or not in Rwanda, across Africa by wait, Dahlberg. Wait, wait, explain how that works. So what ends up happening is every time you have someone in you know, San Francisco uh, making a couple hundred thousand dollars, yep. and it's a new job that didn't exist before, mm -hmm. that person is going to buy a car. They're going to go to restaurants. They're going to hire babysitters. They're going to Nannies. hire... Exactly. Like they're going to need additional support and yeah. services that wouldn't otherwise be needed in the economy. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually the statistic. Every high paying tech job creates five right. additional jobs around it in the See, economy. See, this is another part of our crazy discourse right now. What you've described is trickle down. Now, if I called it trickle down, people would be like, oh my God, there's no such thing as trickle down or trickle down is everything. It's like, okay, hold on a second. Let's take a step back. Let's all take a step back. Let's just look at logic. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it's like if a high paying job is created and that person is going to spend all that money on their lifestyle, like it's going to get splashed around and then those people will then spend money and that's called- um, An economy. It's called an economy, <laughs> and they, they also call it mono, monetary velocity. I, mm -hmm. I didn't know this term, but monetary Wild velocity is a very important term. It's like if people just sit on their money, this is why we have inherited taxes. <laughs> Speaking of our fine president who apparently paid 5%, <laughs> he paid 10% of the tax. I am shocked. Getting out of a half a billion dollar tax bill. I am shocked. <laughs> That I mean, Trump, again, no comment. <laughs> no comment. I don't want to make this political, but I am shocked and flabbergasted that anybody would ever accuse Donald Trump of not paying his full share of I, inheritance tax. It's totally mind-boggling. It is an impossibility to me. But um, the, yeah, it would make sense. And it would make sense in a developing country or city. Is it okay to call... By the way, let me just ask on behalf of everybody. I know saying third world is considered derogatory. 
We don't use that word anymore. I would call it emerging economies. Emerging. But, uh, some people say developing. Yeah, developing I don't think is completely taboo. Uh, uh-huh. it's, certainly not, uh, it's certainly not calling something third world. Okay, so third world is an insult. Don't say Yeah, it. let's not do that. Emerging is optimistic and aspirational. And I think reasonable also. And reasonable because they are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, Faster than and almost And developing is similar to emerging, but developing would state that they're underdeveloped and there might be a backhanded compliment in there. That's, that, is, that is my perception. I'm certainly not an authority on this, to I'm be not, clear. You know what? I think it's good to talk about the words people use because if people They matter. Are, they do matter. And if people are offended, um, you should take that into consideration when you use words. Now, I don't think we have to worry about like... I mean, it might be getting a little crazy with the trigger warnings and microaggressions at times. <laughs> Leave it aside. But I do think it's right for people to understand exactly how... Uh, develop these countries are becoming, when it comes to technology in the hands of citizens, describe for me and the audience what Nairobi is like, or, or Lagos. Lagos? Lagos. 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 Yeah. Lagos. So what, in, is La- what is Lagos like, if you were to compare it to San Francisco, um, the most modern of cities, or Tokyo? So, uh, starting, with, starting with Nairobi, mm-hmm. you've had mobile money be the norm for the past decade, okay. well before it was the norm anywhere in so the U.S. So Venmo, PayPal, and then what do they have in uh, Kenya? The uh, M-Pesa? M-Pesa, It's yeah. Kenya, right? It's Am I correct? Yeah. Operated in a couple of the countries, but started in, started okay. in Kenya. Yeah. In Kigali, it's the first fully 4G city in Africa. And Kigali. was one Kigali. Kigali. One what what country first, is Kigali? That's in Rwanda. That's Capital Rwanda. of Rwanda. That's the capital. Uh, Thank you for And was one of the first... Yeah, don't feel bad. We're all learning. Yeah. Uh, it was one one of the first fully 4G cities in the world. Wow. Uh, it is, it's extraordinary what's happening So there. everybody's got broadband phones, um, but they may have switched. The other perception I hear all the time, and I hear people who are authorities on Africa who have never been there here in the United States quote stuff, but is this perception that people have or this, I don't know, this meme or this... Um, concept that they skipped a generation they went from broad they skipped broadband and they just went to 4g 5g is that frogging leapfrog is that correct in these countries they they don't have broadband or fiber at home but they do have a 4g connection on their phone and they use 4g as their connection yeah it's actually a huge opportunity for the continent it's one of the reasons it's completely true uh and what it means is that you're able to skip much of the uh like sort of super expensive infrastructure. It doesn't mean all. There's a lot of infra- infrastructure still needed to be clear. But uh, if you can skip some portion of the infrastructure and move directly to, for instance, 4G wireless, mm. uh, then you're actually able to develop in a way that the sort of more developed economies aren't able to do because they'll be held back by it. And so it's actually a pretty extraordinary opportunity uh, mm. for, for the continent. I want to talk to you a little bit about recruiting. We know it's really hard now to find great people, and I want to talk to you about Teamwork Pro. It's a hiring platform from the team at Good & Co. Traditional hiring is about resumes, but Good & Co. thinks that's not enough. Teamwork Pro helps you recruit based on knowing the candidate's personality and how that fits with your company culture. So now, instead of wasting time and energy on interviews and sifting through resumes, You can know very quickly if a candidate is going to help your team be efficient or eh, not so much. Good & Co. has almost 3 million people registered 
And here's how it works. You download the app, and once you get in there, it asks you a bunch of questions about situations that you might be in, and it builds a uh, profile of you, like a psychographic profile. And after you do the quiz, and three million, almost three million people have done it, including me, you can compare your score and see your compatibility, not only with other people you work with, but other companies. Hey, how would you do inside of Twitter or Google? So I want you to join companies like Uber, Viacom, Kelly Services, Estee Lauder, and get your company set up on Good & Co. Here's how you do it. You can download the Good & Co app to take the test, but to sign up your company, you go to good.co slash VIP good.co slash VIP. And I want you to use the promo code twist, T-W-I-S-T. And you will get a free t-shirt and you'll get 35% off standard pricing. That's why you got to use that promo code twist. Go ahead and visit good.co slash VIP and use the promo code twist. It's a very cool app and it's a very cool product. Highly recommend checking it out. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. When I see all this activity as an angel investor, I think, okay, Mandela's got all these developers. Okay, these developers are helping SeatGeek. Okay, now they're watching. They're probably, you know, reading, you know, about tech companies here. They might be watching This Week in Startups. And Many are. When do we start to see startups emerge from Africa that either hit unicorn status or export culture and products to America? So we're actually already seeing it. This we is are. one of those... Uh, the future is here. It's just not widely distributed kind okay. of things. Yeah. Uh, in this case, you've got, you actually have, uh, you know, we had, my co-founder was a TechCrunch Disrupt a couple weeks ago. And while there, uh, ran into uh, a CTO and co-founder of uh, company Fiber in, uh, in Lagos. That CTO is part of our first cohort in Andela, <gasps> oh. uh, presenting at TechCrunch Disrupt here in San Francisco. Amazing. You've had what, what does our, this company do? Fiber, uh, it's called? Fiber. Yeah. It's, um, think of it as uh, a simplified way to find and rent apartments in Legos. Right. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, it's Redfin or yeah, Zillow for apartments. Uh, yeah. A little bit more like, uh, like a shared living kind of, uh, almost ah. more like common. Got it. Uh, so Airbnb, somewhere between yeah, Airbnb, somewhere and, Airbnb and, and common. Zillow, yeah. common um, so if you need an apartment, in Lagos, you know, for some like mid period of time, check out Fiber. Great company. F I B E R P H I B E R. F I B R E. F I B R E. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, and so you're actually already starting to see it. You've got. Uh, there was five. So have you thought about doing uh, an angel fund or incubator for your graduates? Well, I'm and... waiting for you to offer to help us with it. Well. Uh... I think. <laughs> Don't worry. We get a couple. No, you get a couple years first. Here, here's what I would say. Um, we are interested in we. One of the things I've learned as an angel investor is to never underestimate anybody. Yeah. You you underestimate people at your peril. It's very easy to sit there when people are early in their career and point out, uh, they got a squeaky voice. Uh, they got mm -hmm. acne. It's like it's like it's criticizing a teenager is what I tell people. Like completely. You can sit there and criticize the teenager, but they're going to be an adult soon, and they're going to be dunking on you and like creating <laughs> real shit in the world. And like it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, this person's a little awkward. Well, you know, Uber's first app, Uber Taxi. If you go look it up, it looked not refined. Mm -hmm. And then you know, year three, all of a sudden, it was like they're winning design awards. And then you know, year ten, they've changed the world and. I think for emerging markets, if the companies, the thing I typically see in emerging markets 
or markets that are not, let's say, Silicon Valley or mm -hmm. Stockholm, Sweden, is that the founders, because they don't see anybody who's made it, they don't know what's possible. So now, if you haven't seen a unicorn company, then where are you going to set your sights? You're going to set your sights at just build, maybe getting a job. But then when you start to see people build like small businesses, you're going to say, oh, I'm going to set my targets at building a small business. Here in Silicon Valley, if you build a $100 million business, you're like, God, I got to get to work because I don't have a billion-dollar business because everybody's got a billion-dollar business. And I, I think that's the main thing I saw when I was in Sydney was so many great founders. We had Launch Festival there this year, and we're coming back next year. But I told them all, you're all trying to build businesses. And I had the same exact experience in Tokyo last week when I went there for my book tour. They're all trying to build businesses that grow to 10 to $25 million in revenue in Tokyo or Sydney and, you know, they're not thinking about the global stage. So that's fair, but that also would fairly describe China eight years ago. And so these things change pretty quickly. I agree. And yeah. so if I were, uh, let's say, a prolific angel investor yes. right now, yes, I would be very Continue. actively looking at Africa as yeah. a place for investment. And I'd be looking at Andela developers yeah. as future technical founders. I'm in. I mean, I basically, when I got back from Sydney, we had eight companies that we provisionally uh, sort of uh, accepted to the incubator. We wound up closing three of them so far are in the incubator. You know, you have to do due diligence. They have to want to spend three months here. It's a little bit of work. And then after this Tokyo trip, I found two or three companies. And so we actually think we can be a bridge in that way of like, you know, you start your company, you get your MVP, you get some traction in your market. Oh, now you want to come to America? Great. Mm -hmm. Come to the launch incubator and we'll put 100K in and we'll spend 12 weeks with your introduction investors and then help you learn how things are grown here to tremendous success. So I, I agree with your premise that in six, seven, eight years, these markets will develop and there'll be an example for them to follow because it happened in Stockholm, Sweden. When, they, when everybody saw Spotify, Daniel Ek mm -hmm. and his team, Shaq and everybody... I mean, people were very dismissive of Spotify in the beginning. Are you crazy? That's never going to work. Music, Napster, 2.0, it'll never work. They'll crush you. Same thing in Tel Aviv. Yeah. And you, yeah. Get, a, you get a couple, a couple yeah. big breakouts. All of yeah. a sudden, the entire ecosystem is an overnight success, and yeah. there are no overnight successes. Yeah. There's two unicorns in Australia, Canvas, or Canva. Canva. Sorry, Canva uh, and... Atlassian. Thank you, Jackie. Emmy award-winning producer, Jackie. Uh, <laughs> and then there's nine in Stockholm. Probably a dozen in New York. Sounds about right. Hundreds here. <laughs> One or two in LA. One or two in Austin. It's like, you know, it's... But when they see the example, that's when it gets super... Uh, I think that's when it gets super interesting for folks. Talk about language uh, in... Uh, one of the things that's made Europe very successful uh, in terms of exporting culture to America is that most of the people there will speak English. Uh, what is and the, one of the reason one of the theories is South America has been hard to build a unicorn because you have so many different languages and different local customs in South America. Um, so hard nut to crack. It, how does how do you think about that with Africa? If somebody were to start a company there, would it be easy to go from Kenya to Rwanda, you know, and up and down the continent? Or would localization be a lot of work in each market? 
So localization is a lot of work because each culture, each country is yeah. different culturally. But They are different culturally. Yes, but it's not because of language. English ah. is the most common language spoken across the continent. The most it. common individual language. Got it. Uh, what Nigeria, percentage do you think? official language. Uh, you're looking at half the continent. Got it. Like Nigeria, official language. Kenya, official language. Yeah. And by the way, the accent sounds British. They sound like they speak English better than wow. Americans. Uh, you know, Rwanda changed the official language from French to English a little over a decade ago. Uh, and so you've got, you've got a lot of movement towards English, yeah. but also a lot of existing infrastructure around English as a just completely common language. I do think that's one of the reasons Latin America has struggled to produce uh, yeah. a real breakout tech successes. Not that there haven't been some, um, but I think it's also one of the key advantages and one of the additional reasons that Africa is so obvious uh, when you really unpack it. Yeah. If you think about if you were going to bring Slack to Africa, I'm assuming it's there. They... <laughs> well, I mean, we have, you know, yeah. a thousand people using it there. Exactly. It's like, well, if they're already speaking English and I'm assuming all your courses and mentorship is in English. Andela is entirely in English at this point. Entirely. So in order to get into Andela, if you don't speak English, you got to spend a year or two getting up to speed on English. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the opportunities will be for those who speak English. Initially. Yeah. Uh, and over time, that'll evolve. Uh, you think so? I, I do. I do. Um, and but isn't it time, kind of a requirement for you to get everybody proficient in English because they're going to be working primarily with English-speaking companies? Yes. And Stack Overflow is written in English. Like the, the software development world, it's not a requirement, but it's certainly much easier. You'd be uh, a huge disadvantage if you can't read Stack Overflow. <laughs> That's actually a true statement. Isn't it, right? Yeah. Like It's just so... It's almost like the when somebody asks you a question about history, they're like... I just search Google, go to the Wikipedia. And when you have a technical question, you're just like, go to Stack Overflow. Just go to Stack Overflow. Then ask me if you don't find it on Stack Overflow. Then mm -hmm. I'll answer it. Where do you think you're going to be in five years? If you had your druthers, if you hit all the notes you want to hit, you got 1,300 employees already, $81 million raised. I'm assuming you're making tens of millions of dollars now or millions. Where are you at? Uh, we're, we're certainly into the tens at this point. Tens of millions. Uh, we feel like now we're 1,300. Yeah. yeah, and more than doubling year over year. Um, like we're growing nice. fast, uh, and you know, you fast forward five years, uh, we'll be in the tens of thousands of Andellans, uh, full time. Andellans, I love it. Yeah, uh, around the world, we'll probably be operating in a dozen countries. Tens uh, of thousands of developers. What is the largest number of developers working for a single organization in the world? Is it IBM, Microsoft? I don't know. You know the cool statistic? Um, I don't That's know the answer to that, but I do know that there was a um, a study just came out of the largest organizations contributing to open source. Google's got to be number one. They were up there, but Andela was number 19 of all companies on the planet in terms of number of Andela employees contributing to open source on GitHub. 19? 19. Right above on Cisco. On open source. So you're punching way above your weight. Way, way well, above Well, with 1,300, yeah. I mean, there's got to be tens of thousands of developers at Microsoft and completely. Google. And, yeah. It's a big part of Andela's yeah. culture is open source. Oh, yeah. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Open culture, open source. Completely. Um, well, listen, I, I really appreciate you... Uh, educating the audience and myself. I appreciate and, having me on. This is yeah, great. getting some of the myths out of the way um, and being so honest and candid about what's going on over there. It's, it really is inspiring to see. And I, I think one of the things people forget is because, you know, we talked about the press and how negative they can be and fake news, whatever, you know, keeping it from being political. But if it, ble if it bleeds, it leads. Like there's a constant negative narrative about Completely. places in the world and the truth is, if you read Steven Pinker's books, by the way, just incredible author and thinker, 
better are better angels a good book for you to start with the number of people dying you know in childbirth the number of people living in abject poverty this is all changing radically mm-hmm. and what's also changing and i got a lot of pushback on this when i tweeted is all the information you want to learn in the world is now available for free online globally and it wasn't like that just 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it certainly wasn't like that 20 years ago when you and i probably came into the industry or when i came to the industry like to try to figure out how startups worked nobody knew how to, what a term sheet was to figure out how artificial intelligence worked or machine learning you had to get into mit they, there were no books on it there were no courses you could mm-hmm. take now all this stuff is free are your people taking these free courses from mit and other stuff in their spare time do you find that they're using those resources out there so all the time and it's yeah. because of the kind of people that are, are accepted into andela like yeah. to get into andela again you're going to be in top two percent aptitude and problem solving mm-hmm. of anyone on the planet and i think it's important uh, to remember, as the world continues, as you were saying, to it will continue to get better, despite flat and despite, smaller. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, despite what the media, uh, despite what it might feel like, I'd say at times. Yeah. And as that happens, part of that is being driven by a greater and greater share of those smart-driven people coming into the workforce, and mm-hmm. by companies having access to it. Yeah. And so, if there's a dramatic shift that I feel like people should just be aware of. It's that we are moving, whether people like it or not, we are moving towards a distributed world where gaining access to talent is going to be the competitive advantage for companies. Yep. They want to be able to then scale around the world. If you want to build for the next billion or just want to scale for you know the few million around you, you need to be able to find a diverse group of talent and that requires thinking about distributed. Yep. And so as the world gets smaller, that becomes more obvious and mm. My hope is that people start to realize that more and more as they think about scaling talent. I also think it makes the world more equitable if Completely. the opportunity in Africa or India or across Asia, across Europe, is it just feels more equitable that a person who's smart in Africa can then contribute to something going on at SeatGeek or you know, one of the other companies, or Gusto, GitHub. And all of a sudden, you've got people from Indela working on with GitHub and People in Seattle and San Francisco are all working on something together. It makes it very hard for countries to go to war with each other when the fabric of how they work together is so intertwined. Because if a war starts between two countries and the economic interest is that this is going to be really bad for those two countries because they're trading, like it, it prevents wars. Yeah, it's you're, proven. You're, you know? you're exactly right. Yeah. It is the fabric of society that extends beyond just our individual society, but like the global society. Yeah. And the reality is that that's not just better for that developer in Africa to be able to work with SeatGeek or GitHub. It's better for SeatGeek and GitHub to also be able to work with them. Yeah. Everyone is better off. Yeah. And that's the key to it, like actually being sustainable, is that the entire world is better by coming closer together and being able to actually work together. There's only one group that gets screwed. Entitled kids who think <laughs> that because they were born in America, that they're entitled to a job and that it's all going to work out for them. I try to explain this to young people. It's like, I know that you hit the jackpot by being born in America and your parents are rich or whatever, they got you into college. You're up against a global uh, market for talent. And some of these folks are coming from being very poor and living in the far, you know, the parents were on farms in China and now they're in the city. They want to work 60, 70 hours a week. The, the hours in China are 996, 9 a.m., 9 p.m., six days a week. There are hungry people in the world who want to work at Indel or whatever, and they want to put the hours and time in. And then I see entitled people who are like, 
That's yeah. true, and that's that's true, but it's half of it. They're the other bright. half that's They're important bright. is that by having those people across the continent of Africa or in China building new services, those entitled kids, their trust fund's going to go a little bit further. And so everyone <laughs> still, everyone still yes. benefits yeah. because tech is not a zero-sum game. Right. It's accretive. Mm. Everyone benefits from having more people actively contributing in the future of the economy. The more people who own iPhones, the cheaper it gets to make those sensors. Those sensors now exactly. then wind up exactly. you know, making drones and self-driving cars. I mean, people, if we didn't have every human on the planet or the majority of humans on the planet willing to spend hundreds of dollars every two years or $1,000 every two years on a smartphone, we would not have the processing power and miniaturization of these sensors that Completely. we have now that is just, it's mind-blowing what it's enabling. People are just making $30, $40 boards that sense everything. I see mm -hmm. it when I look at deals, I'm just like, this company would not exist had it not been for a billion iOS devices being sold and whatever, two or three billion Android devices being sold. This, this is standing on the shoulders of that. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right. So if you're a millennial and you're lazy and entitled, yeah, listen, you're not going to be employable, but <laughs> you're going to have a great smartphone and some great software on it. You'll have incredible apps to distract you as you wonder why you're not competitive in the world. Actually... <laughs> I'm telling you, there's going to be some parents who want to send their kids to Andela. That's I, when you it's know. It's already happening. It's it has, already happening. I was about to say, yes. that's when you know you've hit it. <laughs> is when, this is when we'll know the world has gotten really good. Is that the programming uh, team and spirit in, you know, Rwanda is so good that some kid in like Orlando is like, can I go to Rwanda and get, be part of Andela? Because I really want to get a great job. In the world. It's in small numbers right now, but I'm sure we're Americans going to see a lot going more. To no, not going, but asking if they can. Asking, asking if, if they, they can, can apply. And others trying to pay to get in. We've said no to it, but we've had people ask. To pay? Yes. Ah. Like that. What is your deal with people? If you train them up, they have to work for you for a year or something or uh, pay back? Or the, it's just you've got you've to pay back the cost of training, but you do got that it. actually in the first couple of years. It's got pretty it. quick. And over time, what matters is creating an amazing environment for someone. Yeah. So like ultimately, it's a culture of learning and growth and development. Uh, and yes, it also enables you to then by paying it back, you get to invest in the next generation to yeah. enable someone else to take part in the Andel experience. Amazing. Well, Jeremy, I'm glad there are people like you out there doing this incredible work and then keeping us educated. Uh, 1300 of us right now. 1300. Uh, I mean, that is just mind blowing. And I guess you're in spinning distance of profitability or close. You get there if you wanted to. We're moving in that direction. We can get there yeah. if we wanted to. Yeah. So you're investing. It's great. Tomorrow um, there'll be more of us. Tomorrow, there'll be more Andela's. All right, everybody, go check out Andela, A-N-D-E-L-A.com, Andela, and follow Jeremy, Jeremy J. Thank you, Emmy Award-winning producer Jackie, for getting another great guest on the program. We all feel smarter already. And thank you to our partners for supporting the program. And if you want to do something, what can you do? Well, here's what you can do. Just the next time you get an email from us or you're listening to the podcast, tell a friend. You know a friend? Send them this episode and say, hey, listen to this episode. It's great. That's how the show has gotten to over 150, maybe 250 people tuning into every episode from around the world. It was great to be in Tokyo last week and see and meet all these people who listen to This Week in Startups. And same thing happened when we were in Sydney. Uh, it means the world to me when you write a review. That's super helpful, uh, especially on iTunes. When you write reviews on iTunes, uh, we move up the rankings is what I understand. I don't know if that's exactly true. 
Uh, but go ahead and do that. If you want to read my book, it's called Angel. It's on, uh, it's on the Amazon and the Audible and everywhere else. All right, we'll see you all next time on This Week in Tarot. Bye-bye.